Well, we are uh, continuing this week um, from the previous couple of weeks where we've been looking in Hebrews chapter 9 and unpacking the, the blood of Jesus and what Jesus accomplished when he shed his blood. We talked about how he died and shed his blood to deal with our sin, to deal finally with our past. And like Andrew reminded us before about dealing with sin, past, future, future and present. And also the, the inner cleansing and forgiveness that comes through his blood. And then last week we were talking about this new covenant that was ushered in through the Lord Jesus and how it was different to the old, how it was different to what went on before. It wasn't just about um, kind of delaying judgment on sin, but Jesus came and he dealt finally with sin so that we could enjoy a different kind of relationship with God, so we could be free to serve the living God. And we're going to continue this week to look at Hebrews chapter 9, and uh, we're going to read from verse 23 to 28, and we'll find that the writer kind of picks up some themes we've looked at in the past couple of weeks and develops some, some more. So um, if you've got a Bible, you might like to read Hebrews. I don't have a PowerPoint this morning, I'm afraid. And um, we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 9 and verses 23 to 28. It says this, It was necessary then... For the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence." Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for this word and this message and this book that we've been looking at the past few weeks that was spoken to a group of people under pressure, feeling the, the, um, the strain and the challenge of following Christ while the world around them was going in a different direction. I want to thank you, Lord, that you are taking that same word and speaking it to our lives, that you are encouraging us, that you are lifting our sights from the struggles and the challenges to the Lord Jesus and what he accomplished. And we pray again this morning, Lord, that you would speak to us, that you would bring revelation to our hearts and our minds, that you would impact us with the power, the ongoing, life-changing power of the blood of Jesus shed for us. Lord, I pray that we would be refreshed in our faith, that we would be refreshed in our relationship with you, that we would be reinvigorated and uh, awoken afresh this morning by the power of your word and your blood and in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, 
So like I said, we're going to kind of pick up some things from previous weeks. Just if you, if you missed the past couple of weeks, the messages, I believe, should be on our website. I would encourage you to, you know, if you, you don't make it here on a Sunday morning, I would encourage you to um, kind of listen to the, the words that are, are spoken that you missed because you know, it's just a, a great sense of when we kind of come together, God speaks to us as a group of people. And it's about kind of, you know, God's word to all of us. So um, I really would encourage you um, to, to sort of, when you, you miss a Sunday, kind of pick up on the, the word from the, uh, for off the internet, off our iHarvest website. Okay, so um, in verse 23, the writer kind of picks up what he was saying before. Having previously said that Christ's sacrifice was a better sacrifice than under the old covenant and the blood of goats and bulls. The writer says a similar sentiment here. It was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. And so the writer reminds us and emphasizes something different is going on here when Jesus is shedding his blood. It's not just better because it's Jesus instead of some animal or because it's a human rather than animal blood. Something different is going on here. And we looked last week about the fact that in the Old Covenant, God was postponing his judgment. We said this both weeks, I think, that we've spoken on um, on Hebrews chapter 9, that he was forgiving their sins, but justice was waiting for Jesus to come at just the right time. When Jesus came and he shed his blood, he dealt with sin. Yeah, the blood of goats and bulls, the writer emphasizes again and again, can't take away sin. It was a way for the people to put their trust in God for forgiveness without actually it affecting that forgiveness. But when Jesus came and shed his blood, it dealt with that sin issue. And we said before this incredible thing about God knew what he was doing. He, he knew that at just the right time, Christ would come. He knew that in instigating the old covenant, he knew, already knew what the new was going to look like. And at just the right time, Christ came and dealt with sin. He wasn't putting off judgment. He was waiting for Christ to come. And for me, there is an encouragement there about God's timing and also about not putting things up. So um, I said previously about the impact as a young Christian it had on me when I um, read First uh, John chapter 1, verse 9, which says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And as a young Christian, somebody kind of showed this to me and encouraged me, you know, when you become aware of a problem, of an issue, deal with it then and then. You know, as soon as you realize that there is sin in your life, as soon as you realize there is a problem and there is an issue, don't put it off. Deal with it there and then. You know, we talked about God's time. Well, our timing is to deal with sin when we become aware of it. And, um, and I would encourage us all to do that. You know, I sort of sometimes speak to people who say, well, you know, when I'm kind of earning enough money or when I've paid off my debts, that's when I'm going to start tithing. But actually, when you become aware of something you need to do, do it now. Don't put it off. Or people talk about their lifestyle. Yeah, you know, when I'm, when I'm not a student anymore or when I'm married and I've got a family, then I'll sort of settle down and I'll, you know, stop partying and drinking and doing all these things. When we become aware of something, do it now. Deal with the issues. Don't just say, oh, when I'm a cell leader, then I'll be responsible and I'll take the initiative and I'll do these things. When we know what we've got to do, 
deal with it now. So at just the right time, Jesus came and shed his blood, and it was a better sacrifice than the blood of goats and bulls in the Old Covenant. And we also said in previous weeks how the high priest in that Old Covenant, in that First Covenant, presented animal blood in the most holy place, in the tabernacle. But Jesus presented his own blood in the presence of God in heaven. Jesus presented his own blood in the presence of God in heaven. And uh, it, uh, I don't think I really sort of touched on this previously, but um, it kind of says something to me about the incredible thing about God and the nature of God and of the Trinity. And if you have been a Christian some time, um, hopefully you are kind of familiar with what we describe as the Trinity, which is basically how God is presented in the Bible as one God, and yet there are three persons in God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, uh, you know, it it sort of deserves a sermon in its own right, um, really. But it's this idea that kind of within one God, there are three persons. So right at the beginning in the book of Genesis, God doesn't say, I will make man in my image. God says, let us make man in our image. So there is like a a kind of plurality. There is multiple people within God. So in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, it says, baptize people in the name, one name, of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This is the Trinity. It's that God exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and each person is fully God. But the the point that, that I wanted to make is, so we have Jesus presenting his blood before God, before the Father in heaven. And, uh, and it's, I think one of the most incredible sort of things from the, the sort of, sometimes people I think can see the Trinity as just a bit of a sort of theological topic, but one of the things that's really impacted me about understanding God is just how the different um, kind of people in the Trinity, about how Father, Son, and Spirit can serve each other, really, and to take on different functions. So you have Jesus, who is fully God but who can say to his Father, who is also fully God, who can say, I only do what I see the Father doing. And this is a real challenge to me because I associate function with value. So, um, you know, particularly I can feel, probably when I was a bit younger, I kind of feel like, you know, I always wanted to be asked to do everything. You know, how come come John's been asked to do that? What, you know, am I not good enough? What does that say about me? And maybe it's a man thing as well, but can associate value with function. And yet Jesus can, can, you know, become a man, can be there in in heaven presenting his blood to the Father or can kind of come and say, I'm I'm only going to serve the Father. I'm only going to do what I see the Father doing and saying. And yet he is no less God for doing that than the Father is or than the Spirit is. Do you understand the point I'm making here? That Jesus was able to um, take on this role. It's not a value statement for Jesus to present his blood before the Father. Another incredible thing is that Jesus was and is God, and yet he was willing to become a man. <laughs> and, and, you know, just um, how incredible, what a gulf that is, particularly kind of, you know, in, in what humanity became through the fall, for, for Jesus to become a man, and we don't kind of read a lot about his um, about his sort of form, I guess, or his person before um, 
the New Testament before Jesus became a man, but we read about Jesus being described as the Word and being involved in um, creation. Um, but it's an incredible thing that Jesus became a man, and there is nothing to say that that was a temporary thing. You know, we looked in a couple of weeks ago, didn't we, about Jesus portrayed in heaven in the book of Revelation, and he's still portrayed as a, not just a man, but as the lamb who was slain, this sense of an eternal sacrifice, that eternal redemption we touched on previously. You know, God doesn't change in terms of his nature and his character and that he can be relied upon. But there is a sense in which Jesus' salvation mission changed him. He became a man and a lamb who was slain. Jesus presented an eternal sacrifice in heaven as he presented his own blood. And he did that for us. It's kind of mind-boggling, really. I am... a few years ago, I was asked to speak to a group of students at an event to, to do a, a sort of uh, evangelistic talk, talk to kind of people about being a Christian. And so I was sort of thinking, oh, what, what tack shall I take with this um, talk? And I thought, oh, I generally kind of try to think, what would be funny um, is, <laughs> is usually my starting point. So I thought I'd, I'd talk about um, how crazy it seems to be a Christian, just the sort of, you know, the... the the notion and the concept of, of, you know, you kind of believe this and you read a Bible and you try to do what it says and you pray and you think that it changes things and you get up on a Sunday morning instead of staying in bed, which, you know, as a student is a, a big thing. And so I kind of got all these things and thought, okay, you know, we've got a good thing going here. And I thought, oh, I, need to, I really need to get the gospel in here. Or, or, you know, how do, I, how do I talk about Jesus? And then suddenly the penny dropped. Here was I, I talking about how, how sort of crazy, what a, a strange idea it seemed to be a Christian. And yet I was talking about Jesus who became a man who shed his blood. And what did he get in return? He got us. Yeah, how incredible is that? Jesus went through everything he went through for us. You know, and, and that is value. Not somebody asking you to put out the chairs or to you know, perform this function or to do this job, but the fact that Jesus, the Lamb of God, would shed his blood for us. That is value. So Jesus presented his own blood in heaven. And uh, we also read, in, in, and we've kind of touched on before, about how um, the pattern of the old, the first covenant, is modeled on heaven. So it's not that you know, Jesus did what he did in the New Testament because it built on the old, because it was like an upgrade on the old. But God instituted the old covenant and the patterns of the old covenant to reflect the new, to reflect the things that would come. And so it says in, uh, in verse um, 24, Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven himself now to appear for us in God's presence. So the the, the um, earthly sanctuary, the tabernacle, the tent, the old covenant systems that were instituted by God are a pattern, are modeled on heaven itself. So I suppose there's a question about do we learn anything significant about heaven from the design of the Old Testament and the Old Covenant? Is there stuff we can kind of get that can add to our understanding 
Again, like we talked about last week about, you know, when we read about the Passover, it can add to our appreciation of what Jesus did. And in some senses, you know, unless it's strongly confirmed by the New Testament, we can only speculate. We've obviously got a kind of limited concept in which to try and understand something like heaven. But for me, one aspect that comes through um, again and again in the Bible is this kind of legal pattern that you see. There is... There is a, a procedure, there is like a, a, you know, a presentation of, uh, of blood in defense of, of the, the accused. It's like a kind of courtroom scene. There's a presentation of blood in defense of the accused and in the face of accusation which comes from sin. And we see this elsewhere in the Bible. So we see that justice is really important to God. Zephaniah chapter 3 and verse 5 says, The Lord is righteous. He does no wrong. Morning by morning he dispenses justice. And every new day, he doesn't fail. God dispenses justice. In Zechariah chapter 3, there's a, a fantastic picture of Satan trying to accuse Joshua. And it does read a bit like a courtroom and about how God defends him. And we see a similar thing in Job. We see it again in Matthew where Satan appears to tempt Jesus and Jesus answers him with the word of God. And then in the book of Revelation chapter 12, Satan is described as the accuser. So for me, there is something here that, that kind of we could definitely say that heaven is not just some kind of some hippie version of loveliness where everyone just kind of wanders around and, and it's all kind of lovely. But there is this sense of order and uh, almost like a legal pattern in, in heaven. And, uh, you know, we're limited in our frame of reference, but the sense of justice and argument and, and justice being done. And it kind of builds on what we said in previous weeks about the importance of Jesus presenting his blood in heaven. To say, you know, there is an accusation against these people because of their sin. There is an argument against them. But in their defense, the blood of Jesus that says the price has been paid, that says actually justice has been done. Sin has been atoned for. This is going on in heaven. And so there's definitely something about that. Before God, this is Jesus presenting it, before God, the Father, the judge of all, the one who dispenses justice, and the blood says justice has been done. The eternal price has been paid. So the eternal price has been paid, like Andrew kind of reminded us before, past, present, future. But I think it's important to emphasize, you know what, we still need to continually do business with God. We still need to do business with God. Um, last week we talked about this, um, this sort of theme that we see, particularly in the New Testament, of the now and the not yet example about the kingdom of God. You know, Jesus reigns and has authority in our lives now, but a time is coming when he will, you know, have complete authority and everyone will recognize it. You know, God has saved us now and he saves us from the effects of our sin, but a time is coming where we will not be able to sin. You know, we experience healing in part now, but there is a time coming where there will be no sickness and no death and no suffering. And similarly, you know, we have been forgiven yeah, we have been forgiven. The price has been paid. But actually, we still need forgiveness. Because, not because our sin, the things that we do wrong when we express our independence and our selfishness, not because they change our eternal future, but because they get in the way of our relationship with God. 
Peter says in 1 Peter 3.18, Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. So it's a kind of once for all sacrifice to bring us to God. Our eternal future is secure. But we need to go on asking God to forgive us because our sin is a barrier between us and God and it damages our relationship. So, you know, just like um, I don't need to, uh, you know, get married again. I need to get married every day. You know, I've got married to Caroline and uh, we'll still be married tomorrow and the day after. And so I don't need to propose to her every day. Okay, so it's like that is assured. But I do need to invest in my relationship with Caroline. I do, you know, it's not just, I'm not just married to Caroline as some sort of you know, insurance policy so I'm not lo- lonely when I get old or anything like that. It's because I want to enjoy a relationship with her every day. And, and so there's things that I can do and you know, when I mess up, I need to say sorry. It doesn't stop me being married, but it stops me enjoying the kind of fantastic relationship God wants for us to have. And similarly, being a Christian is not just like some eternal insurance policy that means, oh, I'm not going to hell, I'm going to heaven. It's about having a relationship with God. And so we need to deal with the things that damage that relationship with God. And the fantastic revelation of the blood of Jesus is we can clear the decks, we can get rid of sin, that God forgives us and cleanses us from our guilt because Jesus shed his blood and he did it once for all. He doesn't need to do it again. But when I become aware of sin, I need to say sorry, ask God to forgive me and receive that forgiveness. There's an incredible expression that the writer uses here in Hebrews where he talks about how Jesus appeared to do away with sin, to get rid of sin, to deal with it. It's a fantastic um, expression in verse 26. Um, He has appeared once for all to do away with the sin by the sacrifice of himself. And uh, it's just um, so encouraging. And again, it reflects that now and that not yet. But there is a a kind of a, a warning in there, I think, for me that, hey, Jesus is coming to do away. He came to do away with sin. Jesus wants to get rid of sin. And that's a challenge when we want to cling to sin or you know, when people want to embrace sin in their lives or kind of wrap their identities up in it. And uh, the writer of Hebrews, as he goes on in verses 27 and 28, he warns us about this kind of thing. He says, just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many and he will appear a second time. So Jesus is coming again to judge the world. Jesus is coming again to judge the world. And he's going to do it in a glorious and a triumphant way. It's going to be amazing. It says in Matthew chapter 24, it says, At that time the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory and he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the earth so when jesus came for the first time he laid aside his glory he became a man he suffered and he was sacrificed to deal with sin and when he comes again it is going to be in glory to bring salvation and uh, you can kind of um Imagine the original hearers of this, you know, who are a group of people who had turned to Christ from 
Judaism and were coming under pressure about their faith in Christ. And you can kind of understand how um, you know, they can take encouragement from this, but there might also be a temptation, particularly if they were being um, persecuted or oppressed, to feel like, yeah, Jesus is coming back. Yeah, you'll see. You'll get your comeuppance. But you know what? There is absolutely no room for smugness about this because, you know, for a start, it's purely by God's grace, by God's undeserved favor, by the enlightening of the Holy Spirit that we are not in a position. But also, it is going to be a terrifying thing. Can you possibly imagine when, you know, Jesus comes back and for people who, you know, witness it but haven't put their trust in him, Can you imagine when the penny drops that the most important decision they have to make in their whole lives and they got the wrong choice and what the consequences of that will be? Terrifying is the only word I can think of to describe it. It says this in Revelation chapter 20. It says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death anyone's name was not found written in the blood of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. You know, serious stuff. When Jesus comes again, it says here in Revelation, it says in the New Testament, the writer of Hebrews encourages to remember the dead will be resurrected to stand before the Lord in judgment. And Peter uh, describes it in 2 Peter 3, 7 as uh, the day of Christ's return as the day of judgment and destruction of un godly man it's a yeah it's kind of serious stuff and uh, the the new testament always tells us that god is waiting and he is patient it's not that he is slow to return but he's patient he's deliberately delaying his return because you know of everything we've just said about sin, about Jesus coming to destroy sin, about everything we've read there in Revelation, about what's going to happen in in the face of God's judgment. You know, God's going to deal with sin. And the problem is, as humanity, we are stained with sin. You know, so many people in the world, you know, have their identity, are kind of clinging on to sin. There's a a verse in, in Jonah where it says, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. You know, when, um, when Jesus returns, it will be too late for repentance. There will be no second chance. And Peter says, God does not want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He says a similar thing in the Old Testament through the prophet Ezekiel. He says, say to them, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, O house of Israel? And Jesus has not come back yet because there are people who still need to turn from their sin and turn to Jesus. Because Jesus is coming to get rid of sin, okay? You know, that's why, uh, 
what we've talked about the past couple of weeks, Jesus came to shed his blood to deal with sin. And the problem is, you know, we are all infected by sin. It has polluted. And so if you confine uh, sin to hell, then what about all those people who've got sin in their lives? You know, what's going to happen? It's kind of like you see in, in action films when you know, they wait until the last possible moment to blow up this building because the good guys are in there trying to do the rescue. And it's like Jesus is waiting because there are so many people who he does not want to perish. He does not want them to go the way of sin. And so you know, he is patient is the encouragement. And that's what's going to happen at the end. He's giving humanity an opportunity to escape and he desperately wants them to take it. It's like, again, you know, in action films, sometimes you see the, the criminal at the very end hanging off the cliff, you know, hanging on with his fingers and his bag of swag in the other hand and, uh, and the rescuer comes there and says, you know, let go of the bag and take my hand. There's that choice, you know, what are you going to do? Are you going to let go of this bag or are you going to take his hand? And, and again and again, they choose to plunge to their death with their bag of swag still without taking the person's hand. And it's like Jesus is reaching out his hand and saying, you know, let go of your sin because that is dragging you down. Take my hand. Why will you die, O Israel? And so people you know, ask the question, well, why does God allow sin and injustice in the world? Because if God is actually coming to do away with sin and injustice, but what about all the people who do wrong? You know, why, why doesn't God deal with, the, you know, these terrible things that happen? And it's just like, well, where's the threshold? You know, why doesn't God stop you driving along Barrack Road at 40 miles an hour? You know, why doesn't God stop you shouting at your children or whatever it might be? You know, God is going to deal with all that wrong and all that sin. And, and he's going to come and do it. And the encouragement is to let go of it, to be released. And that's why Jesus shed his blood so that we could be free from sin. And Jesus is coming to judge. And when we are judged as Christians, we have a defense. What is the basis on which we are judged? Is it, you know, how many good things we've done? Is it that we can, you know, remember our memory verse every week or anything like that? It's the blood of Jesus. It's that we say, Jesus Blood has paid the price. There's no further case to answer. Sin has been paid for. Justice has been done. You know, we can, people can come up with all sorts of excuses and all sorts of reasons, but the only one that will wash is the blood of Jesus. And the writer of Hebrews makes the point that Jesus died once for all. Jesus died once for all. He didn't have to do it again and again and again. Because let's be honest, if Christ has to die many times, how would you know if, if you were kind of forgiven at any point in time? You know, if it wears off, if the power, if the effect of forgiveness wears off, you know, how do you know when you're due for a, a kind of refresh? What happens if it comes just before Jesus has to die again? You know, well, I did this last Tuesday and I think that's dealt with, but what about the, I did this morning? Jesus died an eternal death and made a presentation of his blood in heaven eternally and purchased for us an eternal redemption. So we can be assured he will return and bring salvation to those waiting for him to forgive the sins of many. Last time his purpose in coming was to bear sin. That has been done. He doesn't have to do that again. I'm hoping you're kind of getting this after the past three weeks, okay? You know, the price has been paid. 
The price has been paid. So he can come again to bring salvation in triumph and glory. Right, let's pull this together and just kind of um, conclude and then we're going to pray. So how do we respond to this? Well, let's deal with sin. Let's deal with the issues. Let's deal with the unresolved stuff in our lives. Not tomorrow in your quiet time or not the next time that you're here and in a kind of atmosphere of worship or the next time we have an encounter. When we become aware of issues in our life, when we become aware of sin, of of things that we are doing that are wrong and of things that we are not doing that we should be doing, let's deal with it now at the right time. Do it now. And not because you're going to get knocked down by a bus because, hey, if you get knocked down by a bus, it's okay, isn't it? Because the price has been paid, yeah? So our eternal redemption has been purchased. You're fine. You'll go to heaven. But let's deal with the issues because... Well, why wouldn't we? Why would we choose to not enjoy that relationship with God that Jesus purchased? Why would we not choose to enjoy that covenant that he made with us? And um, you know, Sally spoke to us a few weeks ago about the, from John 15 about um, if a man remains in me, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So you know, we could be aware of something and think, oh, well, I'm going to put that off. But then, and we could kind of be really busy doing lots of stuff. But you know, Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. So, you know, you can make yourself busy and you can do lots of activity, but essentially, it's pointless. It, it achieves nothing of any significance. Jesus, apart from me, you can do nothing. But if you remain in me, you will bear fruit. If we want to bear fruit, let's deal with the issues now. Because, and also, you know, why would we want to, you know, have our eternal salvation and to go to heaven and enjoy being in the presence of God all the time and enjoy worshipping God and, um, you know, just kind of being with the people of God in God's presence? Why would we want that for the future but not want that now? You know, why would we kind of think, oh, well, that's all right for them, but, you know, I, I don't want it now. I was in... I was in uh, London last week, and my, my 24 hours in London fell slap bang in the middle of a 48-hour tube strike, which wasn't a uh, fantastic um, timing, it has to be said. Um, and so on Thursday morning, I had to kind of walk um, rather than catch the tube. And I was walking through Hyde Park, and there was kind of loads of cyclists in Hyde Park. And I have to say, you could tell the difference between those who normally cycled to work and those who were cycling to work because the tube wasn't running. So, you know, the normal cyclists were there in their high vest vests, and, and then there was kind of people kind of wobbling about, because you can hire bikes as well on the street in London, they were wobbling about like this, you know, with sort of dress on and their suits, carrying a suitcase and, you know, all the papers under their arm. You could tell the difference. And you know what? salvation and forgiveness and applying the blood of Jesus to deal with the issues in our life is not just something for the future and it's not just something to do sporadically because things have got so bad I've got no other choice but to to kind of you know spend time with God it's about a lifestyle it's about a habit it's about saying I want to 
you know, to enjoy the presence of God. Jesus died so that he could have a relationship with me. I put my trust in him because I want to have a relationship with him. So, Lord, please forgive me. And about that being a lifestyle. So let's plead and confess that blood that was shed, that was shed to join with the witness in heaven and confess our source of hope, of salvation, that blood shed for me. Because at the end of the day, what else have we got? <laughs> what other defense have we got that, that you know, we read our Bible or that we preach the gospel? Well, that, that's great, but do you know what? Sin requires judgment and judgment requires blood. Isaiah says that all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. But Hebrews encourages us, sin has been judged. Its fate is determined. So let's not just kind of you know, hang around on the sinking ship. Let's leave the past behind and embrace the future. And our future has got nothing to do with sin or with worldliness or with the philosophy or wisdom of this age. And there's a response, not just for us, but for others to the fact that, you know what, judgment is coming to all. And Jesus paid for the sins of many do you ever um, kind of look at people or you know people and you kind of think, I, I'm not quite sure that, maybe they're not a Christian, but you kind of think, I'm not quite sure what to say to them because they seem like they're lovely people and they've got a lovely house and a lovely family and it all just seems really nice. And, you know, what do I say to these people? You know, if, it seems like they don't need the gospel. But do you know what? If somebody is in a car heading towards a precipice, it doesn't really matter whether, whether they're in a second-hand Proton or a brand-new Mercedes. Do you know what I mean? They're going to the same place. They're both in trouble. Sorry, Clive. <laughs> but look, the, the point is, it's not just for now either. You know, just as the Christian life isn't just about heaven and about future, also the gospel is not just for now and improving the quality of people's lives now. There is eternal matter here. And the blood of Jesus should motivate us because it speaks about a universal need of forgiveness from sin, but also a solution that is open to all. When I was a, 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 when I was a student worker, I worked for this missionary organization and uh, our, our kind of national director talked about when he was uh, a student and uh, he just almost like, presented a great uh, vision of the Christian life and he talked about um, how he and a few friends basically just made it their mission while they were at university to speak to everyone about the gospel, to make sure that they, they, there wasn't anybody who hadn't heard. And he said, you know, by the end of our three years at university, we, we looked for people, we spoke to people, we tried to find somebody who, who didn't know, who hadn't heard, um, who we hadn't shared the four spiritual laws with or whatever it was, and he said, we couldn't find anyone. And then he summed it up in this kind of expression, which for me is just a great expression. And he just said, you know what, we were just a group of people who are sharing our faith, keeping short account with God, and having a blast. And it's just like, well, I think the right of Hebrews would embrace that vision. Because that's, you know, possible through the blood of Jesus. That we can keep short account with God, that we can be forgiven, that we can be cleansed. That we can share our faith, that we've got a message that is relevant for all. We can have a blast. So, I want to invite you to stand. And uh, I want to pray in response to what we've read this morning and what we've heard this morning. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to ask Andy if he'll kind of come and sort of share a couple of words that um, K 
came out during the worship as well. Well, Father, we want to thank you. We want to thank you for your son. We want to thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came and you shed your blood for us. And we want to thank you, Heavenly Father, that you accept that blood that was shed in defense of our sin, that you allowed the Lord Jesus to pay for our willful independence, to pay for our wrongdoing, to to atone for the death that came to us through our sin. And Father, we want to say to you this morning, we want to embrace the life that you have for us. Lord, we don't want to mess around anymore. Lord, we don't want to put off living the Christian life for tomorrow, for next week, for when we get to heaven. Lord God, we want to embrace the life that you have for us now. So Lord, I want to just ask you to speak to us, to speak to each and every one of us who are here this morning, Lord God. And I want to ask you, Lord, if there is something that we need to deal with this morning, would you speak to us? There is a wrong that we need to put right. Would you put your finger on it this morning? Lord, if there is something that you have been speaking to us about doing, about taking the initiative with, somebody we need to speak to, an action we need to do. Lord, would you just bring that to mind right now? 